All right. Uh, let's read 8 through 13 and dig into that then. And I'm, I don't call on people, so I just expect them to start reading. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and from the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. All right, good. Now remember when we talked about how to, how to, I'd say read the scriptures, but specifically the word of prophecy, how there's like different contexts, right? And the levels. Do you remember, remember those levels that we talked about? There's like the immediate context, right? Which is Micah preaching to a people who, what's going to happen to them? Okay, I'll have to ask these children then. These are all four of them. What, what's the immediate context? Who's Micah preaching to? The people. And what's going to happen? They're going to be taken into slavery. Into exile, right? Into slavery. Yeah. And uh, if, you, if you knew that because of the wickedness of, of, of your people, of, of the kings, right? We talked about princes and the rulers uh, being wicked and, and um, using their offices for, um, for gain, for their own personal gain. Um, if you knew that that was going to happen, what would also be uh, really helpful <laughs> is to have a promise that what, what, what's the promise for, the, for their exile, which is going to be in Babylon. What's the promise? And we're, we've talked about this because we're in, we, we do the one year, so we're in, we're in the Gazimas, and so you have the seven weeks instead of the four, you know, 70 days, if you like, instead of the 40 days. So what is that? 70 days corresponds to the seven... Seventy years. Seventy years, right? Yeah, that it's only going to be for a time, and then they'll return. But it's it is interesting here, right? Um, because uh, what's different about the return, like in verse eleven and twelve, or maybe it should be surprising. Where are the people going to come from? From Assyria, right, and from the fortified cities, even from. Did somebody say Egypt? Yes. Yeah, so I think I think literally it's the river, but so that would refer to the Euphrates. Oh no, that's not Egypt. You have the the river, which is Euphrates. Where's Egypt? The fortress from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. Yeah, mine says the fortress. So uh, I think the the Hebrews Metzor, which can be it was understood as Egypt, I think, um, contextually. So they're going to be coming from all over. Now that's not now that's kind of surprising, right? Um, would you expect? people being drawn back from there, or rather from uh, what was, what, Assyria and then Babylon, right? So first northern kingdom, then southern kingdom. You expect them to be the ones being drawn back, right? And yet now we have them coming from Egypt, from the Euphrates, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. In other words, from, oh, actually even in verse 11, from far and wide, right? 
and that the, actually the city walls are going to be expanded to accommodate all these new people. Uh, so that then begs a question, doesn't it? <laughs> so remember we talked about layers of meaning. Context, immediate context, surely, yeah, the return from exile, and yet it's going to be different than expected. So we said the next level would be, um, you know, how does this apply to, to, to specifically to Christ, right? And, and the promise that's attached um, to him. And from the beginning, even, um, we see all sorts of stories throughout the Old Testament where God draws the unexpected people unto himself, right? Think of, like, Matthew's genealogy with, I tried to remember the four, well, Mary, of course, but the women that are in Matthew's genealogy, but also the character of those women, right? So you have Rahab the prostitute, Uriah the Hittite's wife, Uriah's wife the Hittite, and, and Ruth, who's from Moab, right? You have these unexpected characters being drawn into faithfulness. And we see this in Jesus' own ministry too, right? The Canaanite woman who's from Tyre, Tyre Sidon. Um, not exactly the most uh, faithful <laughs> city. Um, where, uh, uh, a, you know, Ahab's wife's from, Jezebel, who was a fine gal as far as her faithfulness, right? Yeah, so all sorts of people from all over um, and, and the least expected ones too. So you have like, um, in, even after uh, Jesus' ascension, you have the, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, right, with, with Philip. Like, what does this person know of faithfulness? You would, they, all they had, well, all he had was a, the scroll of, which scroll, do you remember? Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah. So that's, um, th- so then the levels of meaning here it's a prophecy, of course, immediately to the people on that they're going to be restored and that their kingdom's actually going to be expanded. But how does that actually work out? <laughs> it actually works out with Christ in the church, right? Where he draws all people into himself. So I think you can see that there. Um, but also, I mean, how does, how does this specifically... Uh, we also said even more specifically that are these words Christ's word? Of course they are. The word the scripture is, is God's word, but you know how is how would we understand this as even Christ saying these words? And I think you can see that at the beginning, right? Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me, and I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my case and executes justice for me. Now you could say those words, right? But then one of the, probably the most controversial <laughs> confessions of the church is that Christ becomes sinner for us, that he actually, he bears our sin, right? And he becomes, <laughs> how's the hymn say it? I always think it's funny because it, it's in our words, but, it, but I think it's of Christ too. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. And who is the chief of sinners? He's the one who bears the sins of the world, all the world, right? Everyone's sins. So you've got that here. Any other, any questions or any ins- other insights? We did talk about executing justice, right? Yeah, and, and what did we say? What, what, is, what is justice? What's, the, uh, what's another word for that? To make right. Yeah, it, it corresponds to righteousness, right? Especially in Greek, but um, what, is, what is the just cause? Well, we, can you not do that? Can I just, it's distracting me. Yeah. Uh, justice being... Well, we talked about the law. I mean, does God, is God unjust in setting aside the law? Or does he set aside the law? I guess that would be the real question. Or is rather the full punishment 
for your sin, according to God's law, is that actually um, meted out? It is meted out, right? Upon, upon Jesus. So is God unjust? <laughs> no, he is. He's just. He, but, but you have a substitute, right? Where his justice is placed. Right? Or he bears it, as, as it says here. I will bear the indignation. But I, um, maybe... Hmm. Oh, there was a question from a pastor friend of mine um, who was reading... This might be interesting, uh, Pastor Weeding, that uh, was reading 16th century um, pastoral care manuals. <laughs> and uh, this is one from Sweden, 15, I think, was it 1529? So it's really early. Um, but I think you see it in the German ones too, where, where it's in, in providing care for, for pastors. It said that the or pastors providing care for those who are sick, that, that you are sick because of, because of your sin. And says it very pointedly that way. That not, not in a kind of an abstract way where we'll say, well, sin and, you know, like cancer or whatever. This is a result of the corruption of, of the world because of sin. But rather says it very pointedly in saying you're suffering because of your sin in this case. Which, um, it was in a discussion, so actually the other pastors were a little, um, how do you want to say it's like, well, I don't know if we'd say it that directly, right? Because you're trying to provide comfort, and now you're saying, no, actually, this is your fault. <laughs> you're sick because of your own, um, because of your own, I hate to say stupidity, but I mean, that's what sin is. It's, it, it is a truth, though. It's being stupid. I know, but we're always apprehensive to be, have that direct correspondence, right? Um, and there's actually a story about this, right? Well, who sinned? Was it, was it the man or was it the parents? You know, that he was, he was lame, right? Or was born blind. blind? Blind, yeah, born blind. I mean, who sinned? And, and Jesus says that the glory of God would be revealed. Well, that's still saying there's a direct correspondence that there's this sin is is specifically going to be used, but to reveal God's glory. And um, of course, when we talk about glory, we, this was just a few weeks ago. We celebrated Transfiguration, being weirdo one-year people um, this year. <laughs> the uh, you know, what is the glory of God that, that he wants us to see? You know, Jesus' bright, shining face and, and clothes, or rather, where does he direct your attention? To Moses or to the prophets? No. To who? To Jesus alone, but not Jesus' bright, shining Jesus, but Jesus who uh, is like us in every way, yet without sin, right? The humanity of Jesus, really, who comes and touches them and says, Arise, and have no fear. Um, the friend of sinners, is not the one who we kind of set in unapproachable glory, you know, the, the revealed it's the difference between the hidden God and the revealed God, if you want to use Lutheran terms there. What was I talking about? I have this problem. Tangents. Justice. Oh, yeah, justice, right. Um, oh, and sin, and, and then sin being corresponding. So, is, is God going to, does God use everything in your life um, for your benefit? Right? Even your bad mistakes, even your mistakes, your stupidity, your... Um, Ignorant decisions, even sickness, and, um, even death. I mean, we're planning a funeral for this coming Saturday. Um, do you know? Did you know Ralph uh, Schrammick? They they moved to Eagle River, so north, uh, twenty years ago, I think. And they maintained their membership here, but they were associate members there. It's, it's like kind of like snowbirds going to Florida, except they go the, they went the wrong direction. Well, anyway, they're just talking about you know planning a funeral, and you know this. Um, that funerals have a, it's like a crucible, you know, or a, 
Yeah. What is a crucible used for? That's actually a good word. It's like crush. Yeah, to crush, right? Um, or like a mm, like a melting pot too, right? Where you where you melt the ore and then the dross rises to the top, which can be skimmed off, and then you have the pure metal. There's a way that it does that for for the family and their faith, because um, you're face to face with you know what Paul calls the wages of sin. Right? It's right there, and now you have to deal with it. And that, oh yeah, that, you know, what God says about sin and, and its consequence, um, it's not avoidable now, right? It's right there. Um, although I think there's ways that we kind of, what do you want to say, soften the blow? <laughs> By, uh, I think the big one for me is, uh, is um, cremation, right? Where there's no body, uh, at least not visibly, right? You just have remains that are, uh, yeah, anyway, we don't talk too much about that. But, but when you have a, you know, when you have the body, especially like right after the death, um, it's not pretty. It's, it's actually pretty ugly, you know. If you are holding hands, quickly the blood stops flowing and the hands go cold and your complexion changes. Everything happens really quickly, uh, and that's uh, that's God actually uh, showing us <laughs> in, in truth right before us there in that example. And, and, it, and it can lead you any number of ways, right? It could lead you, well, broadly speaking, lead you to unbelief and despair, right? If, if you don't hear the word of promise, or you don't trust in that word, right? Or you say, despite his death, um, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? You, uh, you see these signs and hear the full gospel church, full gospel church, <laughs> and uh, you, you have there just... A couple of sentences passing last me that you know that, that he became sin for us. Mm. The greatest adulterer, mm-hmm. the greatest thief, is this one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And at the same time, right? At the same time, and then you said, yeah, the justice is that the punishment has been served. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went to the wrong seminary. I know that you went to. Today, I don't know which is the right seminary. <laughs> it changes all the time. I, I did the, my other, my DVN at uh, Fort Wayne, so I can speak badly or well of either seminary. I tell there you people. go. But, um, the, the full punishment, the justice served, one professor at uh, St. Louis back four decades ago would say, and that includes that he suffered the punishments of the damned in hell. So mm, yeah. If he didn't bear it all, there's something left, but we say, no, I deserve, uh, in our confessions, you and I say, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. If we deserve mm-hmm. it, if we deserve it, the Son of God, uh, and, and, you know, if, if that picture you just painted for us is real, and it is, there's no floor gospel. It's just incredible. It is, mm-hmm. it's unshakable in the sense of, Oh, you know, I am, I, I'm really seeing my sin more clearly now than I've ever seen it before. This is overwhelming. This is what was mm-hmm. needed out in justice. So it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear the full gospel. <laughs> so, uh, there, I mean, there are those um, pretty unthinkable situations. Um, I have the, the book about the trials at Nuremberg. Um, it was the grandson of the chaplain that wrote, that, our Missouri Synod chaplain that was there, um, who was ministering to the Protestants, you know. Uh, there was a Catholic chaplain, but he was from St. Louis. Um, I think he was a pastor in St. Louis, but he was an fluent German speaker. 
uh, that did the minister to those. And he, his grandson, it doesn't reveal confession, but just talks about con- some conversions, right? And, um, but another one that's not well known was um, the repentance of Jeffrey Dahmer, which, because it's so scandalous, I think it just kind of, we just kind of saw, saw, he ended up being killed by other inmates. Uh, and uh, that may have been justice too, <laughs> earthly justice, right? For the, you know, the things that he did. But, um, but that is, that, that he confessed faith. And we have to take the chaplain at his word on that, which, because it's just, to us that seems, it's just too scandalous, I think. And, um, and, that, and that's what I would, I would note too. We're going to get a little theologically deep in the weeds here for a moment. Just hold on. But actually, it's connected to like the harrowing of hell. You know, that, that whole Christ descended into hell, which is um, loosely attested in the New Testament, I think, right? Because is it Second Peter and Jude? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, but it's in the Creed. And Luther has something to say about that. The sermon at Torgau or whatever is what the confessions say to go and read. <laughs> but, um, but the reason why it makes us uncomfortable or why it's scandalous to us is it comes dangerously close, maybe, for some um, to what we call um, universalism, right? That Jesus died for all and that all are saved. Um, and uh, <laughs> so Lutherans kind of, we get caught because we don't want to be universalists where we say, well, everybody's automatically saved regardless of their life, right? Regardless of faith, really, um, is what we're concerned about. Um, and so then, but the other kind of, ex- I won't say it's extreme, but the other kind of ditch would be our friends across 57, the ref- more reformed crowd over there, more Lutheran over here and more Reformed over there, like in Oostburg and or, you know, Dutch, right? Um, but also Reformed Germans as well are over there. They, um, they would say, that, well, they, what, what uh, Senator Dort said was the limited atonement, right? That, that Jesus, he, he didn't die for everyone, if you want to say it real callously. I, don't, I think they would nuance it more than that. But, um, and that's that's the other kind of, that's guarding Jesus from being, uh, for dying for those who don't believe in him. Because they, they, they see that as a scandal, that he would die for those who, who don't believe. But of course, um, I mean, just look at the narrative itself. You know, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, right? That they're even on, what do you want to say, unwitting, um, what, do you, what do you call people who cooperate in, in a, a bad deed? Complicit, right? They're complicit, unwitting. Um, accomplices, that's the word. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm used to Bible class after church from everywhere else that I've served. So this getting, getting up to speed at 815 is not my, not my cup of tea. Anyway, words, yeah. Uh, accomplices. And but you look at Pentecost because that's what Peter preaches, right? This Jesus whom you crucified, he has God and Lord. What must we do to be saved? To believe and be baptized. And the one whom you crucified, right? Um, and he, he attaches it very clearly to them. I think he, and he does it again, uh, which Acts chapter maybe, well, later on, six maybe? I can't remember. Um, you see that repeatedly um, with the apostolic preaching that, no, you are complicit in Jesus' death. You are accomplice to those uh, Romans or, or Jews, whoever, um, Greeks or, or what do you say, Gentiles or, or, or Jews. Um, you are complicit, uh, and yet he died for you anyway. Right? That's, actually, that's the reason. That's the reason he died. It was because of your, your murderous thoughts. <laughs> Even the death of God. Wanting the death of God. We heard that from Fulton Sheen on the way in. Catholic Radio. 
I listen to it not because it makes me happy, but because it generally aggravates me. Uh, but Iron Sharpens Iron, right? But Fulton Sheen is a terrific speaker. Um, and he gives a story about a, a, a boy who's outside with his friends and they're mocking Notre Dame Cathedral. And, and oh, you know, that's just a tomb and just people, just they're just dead. They don't live in there and all this kind of thing. And they said, well, let, you know, to make a mockery of it, let's, we, they dared each other to go in and make confession before the priest. And, and one of them does. And he, uh, he confesses, you know, just as a joke. And the priest says, you know, applies penance, of course, because Rome applies penance and says, go up to the altar, kneel at the wall, and say, um, God is dead, and I don't want anything to do with you, or something like that. And um, his point was that boy, uh, the person, the boy who tells the story later in adulthood, he's actually the archbishop, and that's his that's his bishopric was there <laughs> at Notre Dame. That even confessing. God, I want you dead. You know, damn you, actually, I think was the next part, right? Um, that that was the beginning. That's God used that as the beginning of faith for this young boy. To just say to God what was in his heart, right? Even though it's, it's an ugly confession right? that, he, that he wanted God dead. Yeah, it was a pretty powerful story, I thought. And then they cut it off. There was a radio program. I, I wondered what the next part would have been. So, All right, so we are off the beaten path. But you can see Jesus there. Um, in verses 8 and 9, I think, especially. And then 10 and 11, or 10, we were talking about the scandal. Uh, and one of the, I think this is a word of comfort, really, for, not only for Christ and for the church, but really for you, too. Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets, or mire in the streets. We said that was kind of a, a soft translation. Yeah. of the, Whatever they throw out the Whatever you throw out the window is the stuff in the streets. Right? Um, that while we have to bear the scandal um, of faith now, right, and the mockery of others for believing something so incredibly outrageous um, and really unreasonable, if you like, that in the end we, we will be vindicated as well. You know, our faith will be proven true. Uh, but we, we bear that now not by sight but by, by faith, Right? that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's why we confess this. In the end, it will, it will work out exactly as God has promised. But for now, we have to bear it, right? Um, and, until we see that shame. So there, but there was the immediate context too, right? Um, that Babylon was brought to shame. We, we read this in our council meeting. It was in our prayers for this week um, with Nebuchadnezzar talk with the vision from, from Daniel. You remember that one? That whole chapter was a chapter four, Daniel, that we read? Or was it later? Three? Yeah, where Nebuchadnezzar talks about the dream that Daniel interpreted and how um, he, Nebuchadnezzar has to bear <laughs> the, that prophetic word that, and he believes it, that actually Babylon is going to be ultimately, well, he's going to be grand and glorious, but he's going to have to bear this time where he's, he's like a beast of the field, right? You know what it said? Yeah. And then ultimately Babylon will be brought to shame, right? itself um, when, and the people will be taken back and you think of all the civilizations all the kingdoms of this world think about Rome, you know, how grand and glorious it was and what's left of it now but that's also Christianity Christianity as well, right, the seven churches of Asia Minor, they were here in Re- Revelation, where are they? what's there now? mostly Islam, <laughs> right 
Um, think of North Africa, which is, you know, Alexandria, and, and that was a, that was one of the centers of Christianity in the ancient world, and now it's again it's Islam, um, but it's it's gone, right? The library's gone, everything's gone. <laughs> um, so I mean, that's the problem. With trust, as the hymn says, to trust not in princes; they are but mortal, right? And the psalm, that's echoing the Psalms, is that these kingdoms come and go, and uh, that's not where we put our trust. That's not the kingdom we look at. So I think that that's a challenge with a prophecy like this, where it's like, oh, you're going to be restored and they're going to be brought to shame, is that if you think of it only in that immediate context, well, where is Israel now? Well, I guess there's a kingdom, there's kind of a kingdom of Israel, <laughs> but they, they're forced by international governments to live with their enemies, the Palestinians. Of course, they have, that's across the, it's in Gaza, right? But it's still, it's right there. And that, that's got to be a, that's got to be a, what do you want and just an insult, right? A constant insult. I say, um, no, you actually have to live with your enemies now. It's not, so it's not exactly what you see here, right? Mm. Uh, in the day when your wall, what does your say? The walls will be built. Did somebody say the walls expanded? Boundary your boundaries shall be expanded. Yeah. Um, again, you want to think of that. I mean, that's, that's always been the messianic hope. We see this even, um, you know, in Jesus' ministry. You know, are you the one? You know who's going to restore the the kingdom, right? That because David's and they're thinking of David's kingdom, which was the largest that it ever was, that that kingdom ever was, right? And it was unified; it didn't wasn't split like uh, Solomon's sons did <laughs> into two kingdoms. So that, that's when the walls, that's when the you know the kingdom was at its largest. Jerusalem also probably I don't know, I don't think it was as big as you think. The time of David, Jerusalem was probably the size of Random Lake, fifteen hundred maybe. I think that's about right. Or at least Jesus' ministry, I don't think it was that large. It's, it, it had swollen at the time of um, Passover, right? Because you have Pentecost, 5,000 souls converted. Can you imagine a city that's like Random Lake that has, a, has people come in, you know, 5,000 plus come in? That's plus women and children, right? I mean, it expands to five or ten times the normal size. How do you accommodate that? Had to be a mess. It's been, and for 50 days, too. <laughs> Plus. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, side note. They shall come to you from Assyria, from the fortified cities. That's, again, Egypt, right? And from the fortress, which is maybe Egypt. It pro- possibly, or it could just be, again, more general. Um, you know, all, the, all, the foreign, all those foreign cities and kingdoms. And from the river, from Euphrates, from sea to sea. From sea to shining sea. <laughs> Manifest destiny. No, that's not what this is. Uh, mountain to mountain. But, but I think 13 helps us with the interpretation, right, that we've been talking about. Even though all the people are going to come, the land will still remain desolate, right? Because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. So that's that contrast. It's like the kingdom is going to be restored, but as Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, right? It's not this... Um, this little plot of land, this promised land, Cana, right, which they don't seem to be able to hold on to very well, um, mostly because they're not all that faithful, <laughs> repeatedly unfaithful, but, but not only because of that, um, I don't, you know, just, just as God did not want us to find him dwelling in, te- you know, earthly temples, right, so also I, he didn't want them to attach the promise only to that land, right, to Cana. That was the immediate promise Fulfilled, right? Of course, but it isn't. It it isn't the eternal kingdom, 
And to think that it would be the eternal kingdom, then you have to deny all the words that he talks about with death and destruction and, you know, the end, um, that the end is coming. And there were those who did that in Jesus' own ministry, right? Who denied the resurrection of the body. Um, but they were kind of fatalists, but they're also um, those who really did attach the eternal kingdom to Jer- that Jerusalem, that, that little plot of land. Uh, whereas we know our confession of the church that it's, the kingdom is wherever Christ dwells, right? By his word, through his spirit. Um, through his means, I should say, as well. Mm. Anything? Comments, questions on that? Yeah, I'd like to say that uh, verses 11 through 13 mm-hmm. remind me of the beginning of Acts. In what way? People from all over the known world. Right. And there's a note on verse 11 that says that the New Testament in Israel, the church, which is to the ends of the earth. Right. Right. And that's what we've been talking about. You know, if, if you didn't have that, what would you say about the prophet's words? Either they were a lie, right? Or, or they haven't come true yet. I, those are the, really the only options you have. Because physically, earthly, you don't see this actually having been completed, right? Where, I mean, where, where, when has this been true? Apart from, apart from Acts, apart from the revelation of Christ's church. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's the problem, I mean, with the prophetic word. If you just try to read it only in that first level kind of immediate context, you, you actually sometimes run into some pretty significant challenges. It's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, is God a liar? How is this? This actually doesn't, hasn't played out, or it hasn't, um, he hasn't, it doesn't seem he's kept his word. Um, you get that with the psalmist, too, right? Um, but if you read the psalms as the word of Jesus, about Jesus, and therefore about you, who are in him, um, then I think things start to fall into place a little bit better, right? Sometimes it's still a little obscure for us. <laughs> like, what is, what, is, what is he getting at here? Like the psalms that we've, we've been reading just straight through the psalms this year for our, our weekly prayers. And uh, we're, in the, we're in the little, uh, one of those sections of the psalms that aren't in the hymnal. You know, it's like Dr. Nagel said, you know, when you see the, see the three dots, you, you have to ask why they left that part out. <laughs> um, it's, it's simpler than that. You weren't on the hymnal committee, were you? Okay, I didn't think so. I don't want to insult you. Um, or my friends who were on the hymnal committee. But um, it's just a matter of paper, and they had to keep the book. They wanted the paper heavy enough, and they also wanted the book to be able to fit in the pew racks. It got too thick or too heavy. It wasn't going to work. Um, and they, they're, it wasn't unprecedented. I mean, TLH didn't have all the songs. LW was, was unique that way in having all the psalms. Um, so the psalms that are included are the ones that are appointed either in the one-year or the three-year lectionary to be used in the church. Or um, maybe some other appointing, I guess, in another context, uh, as a suggested psalm maybe for one of the rites or something. Um, but the hymns that are excluded, or the psalms that are excluded are just not ones that uh, have found their place and as far as appointed. So we are in Psalm 20. This week is Psalm 21. Yeah, it's a little gap between 19 and 22. Um, and I don't, actually nothing really all that terribly difficult to understand, so just hasn't found a place for us. All right. Why did I bring that up? I don't know. Oh, Psalms, not being able to understand them. All right. Good so far? Let's, yeah, let's keep going. Because I think, we, like we said, we want to hear the, the gospel. <laughs> so 14, uh, just through the end, I think. Yeah. 
Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwelt alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them get grace mm -hmm. in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. Mm -hmm. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their stronghold. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Yeah, that's beautiful. And almost, um, hmm. does it sound familiar? Do we have this appointed um, in a lectionary somewhere? Yeah, the phrase, who is a God like you pardon the iniquity and passing over transgression. That sounds really familiar. Where, where, where do we know that from? It's not the first time we've heard that. I think um, of Exodus, right? Which, which part of Exodus? I'm trying to find my lectionary here. Uh, here it is. So what are we looking for? Micah 7? Let's see if it's in here somewhere. Uh, it's appointed for the third Sunday of Trinity. Oh, look at that. Third Sunday after Trinity. That's why I know it. Because <laughs> it's actually a lectionary text. It's like, it sounds really familiar. <laughs> those, those things, that, especially if you've been in the same uh, lectionary for a while, it kind of sticks in your mind. And you're just like, I've heard this many times. Yeah, specifically, uh, 18 to 20 is appointed for the third Sunday after Trinity. So, shepherd your people. We talk about shepherding, right? That picture, this is not new in Micah. And that shouldn't surprise us because remember we, when we talked about uh, the book of Micah, it, it's much like Isaiah. I, I don't have any problem saying that it's like the collected, it's a collected sermons of Micah, but it's a compilation, if you want to put it that way. Um, or the same here with Micah. You know? And uh, this is helpful when we talk about Jesus because this, this, the critics, the, the higher critics, especially the, we talked about the Jesus seminar with their little putting their their marbles in to say whether it was a truthful saying of Jesus or not, uh, which that's, that's whatever, 30 years ago now or 40 years ago, but, but it's still out there where people say, well, he only said that saying on one occasion, right? It's only recorded for us in one place. So it's maybe doubt, doubtful whether that's actually something that he said, right? Whereas things that he, that are at least recorded, maybe it's recorded by more than one evangelist or he said it on more than one occasion. Well, those are the trustworthy sayings of Jesus, right? Um, why, why? It's, it's like John says, uh, you know, if, if we were to write down everything that Jesus said and did, it, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it all, right? Or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. It's at the end of his gospel, right? You can't record everything, and you can't assume that you're going to record everything more than once. I mean, why would... Uh, that, that doesn't... That's not tenable. And also, similarly, um, the feeding miracles, right? Well, it said, well, was it 5,000 or 4,000? And he said, could he have fed multitudes more than once? <laughs> is this a problem? 
But it, there can only be one miracle like that of that character. Yeah. Were you familiar with Pastor Stephen Weiss? By name. Yeah. University Lutheran Chapel down here uh-huh. uh, before uh, our congregation took over. He was invited to speak at the Jesus Seminar oh. out in California on uh, Acts, uh, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, he really had done a lot of study on it. And uh, he said uh, that there was a vote on whether Acts, is it 7, the stoning of Stephen, Acts chapter 7? Yeah, it's around there. And uh, whether it was, how it was to be colored, and they colored it gray. And then they <laughs> let him speak. Is that kind of like, they, not really sure? Yeah, black is absolutely not. Oh, okay. It can't yeah. be, you know, really, there's not much. <laughs> and then they let him speak. And then that night, they all gathered for a libation, and he played his harmonica and sang some blues for them. And the next day, they voted on Acts chapter 7 again, and it came out pink. That was a Jesus seminar. Kind of a fickle group then. Yeah. Easily swayed by a little alcohol and, a, and some well, music. He, he went into the lion's den just, you know, to try to, to, try to help them see that, you know, that it's just, uh, you, you study this and so forth. And there's there's yeah. a connection here. I mean, it's apostolic testimony. So you're talking about eyewitness testimony. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't, you can only know what, what Stephen saw based upon those who heard his word. What, because he describes for them what he sees. I see, what, was it the Son of Man? Is there one, or I'm thinking of Daniel. It's something similar to that, right? With God upon his throne. And, um, anyway. Okay, well, it was enough cause. To, I mean, he was already going to be stoned either way, but <laughs> that was blasphemy on top of blasphemy. You help me understand that Jesus' seminar is a little bit better. Yeah, something. It's just almost, it sounds like almost like, yeah, well, we're going to agree on what's true and what's not based upon how much we like you, right? It's just kind of a popularity contest or something, but your word. Yeah, though this is beautiful, though. We were talking about shepherding and, and sheep, and that reason I brought up the, the, the Micah as a compilation is that Micah seems to have preached this on many occasions because we had it in an earlier chapter. Which chapter was that? With the shepherding and the flock? It was towards the beginning, wasn't it? Chapter 2, maybe? Yeah, it's something like... Um certain number it's been so long since we talked about the shepherd references in here uh, but shepherding i mean that makes sense it's a it, it's not just we consider it a comforting image like the funeral on saturday they requested of course psalm 23 which is almost universal <laughs> universally used at funerals uh, it's actually one of our windows too right i'm the good shepherd i said it says i'm good here to or whatever what i forget the word for shepherd in german um so that image you, you often see it with christ with the sheep um, but it's also connected directly to their culture, right? Because you're talking about a nomadic people um, who um, largely never had a home and just wandered with their flocks. Um, although they don't have a real high esteem for the shepherds by the time of the New Testament, right? And that's why the, the kind of the scandal that the angels spoke to the shepherds and announced that Christ's birth to them, it is a scandal. Um, of course, David, I mean, that was a scandal even in the Old Testament, right? It's the youngest um, he happened to be pretty good looking, which I always find interesting. You know, they had, they had strong appearance, but but he is the youngest, and he's not expected because he's out tending the sheep. But his father doesn't even bring him before um, Samuel, right? Just like he's out there tending the sheep. Somebody has to, I suppose. But um, so guiding or bringing in the people with your staff. Uh, we talked about the rod and the staff before, but here that's that's again a comforting image. Um, and, and how does, 
How does he shepherd his people? How does he shepherd you? How does he gather you together? How does he call you and gather By his voice. His voice. Yeah, his, well, we would say even his voice, which is also his breath, right? Right, so his word and his spirit. If you want to put this, talk that. Yeah, so he shepherds his people with his staff, with his word. The flock of, of your heritage. What's, what's a heritage? How do you define heritage? Is that what yours says? I'm using a different... I always use a different translation just to aggravate people. No. Inheritance. Inheritance, yeah. No, I do it... Yeah, because sometimes different translation can help us draw out um, maybe what the writer is getting at. We also talked about Micah being a pretty late Hebrew, so there's usually not necessarily... There's multiplicity of meaning even one word, right? It doesn't necessarily mean one particular thing, like we talked about with Egypt just a few... A little bit ago. It could be fortress or it could be Egypt. Um, the flock of your heritage, your inheritance. So, um, I mean, we talk about heaven being our inheritance, right? But here we're talking about we are the shepherd's inheritance, right? So, who has inherited us? Jesus has, right? Now, how, when do you receive an inheritance? Yeah, on, on, on the death of the test of the what do we say the testifier? No, the testamentor. I don't know what the technical word is. The one who who said, but it's last will and testament, right? Yeah, the one who who wrote. Here's what the inheritance is, but it's only valid upon upon the death. So how do you receive the flock? How does he receive his flock? Through death, right? Through it's an inheritance that's been handed over to him. Um, actually, upon his own death, interestingly enough. Right? If you think of this specifically, Jesus, uh, who dwell, now this is interesting, who dwell alone in a, what's your say? Forest. In a forest, in a woodland. Um, think of Isaiah, you know, 37. Um, what, what does he do with the forest? Like the forests of Lebanon. Does he, I mean, does he like trees? Does God like trees? That's kind of an abstract question, but. Do you like trees? Yeah, he planted, a, he planted a garden and there were trees, right? <laughs> and the trees were good for fruit, or for food, it was said, right? So he doesn't have a problem um, with trees. Um, maybe, maybe like, um, who was the, sort of the bee, of the saint who cut down the Germans' trees. It always makes me laugh because the Germans put up trees at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> remember the sacred tree? Uh, who's the... Who was the saint who did that? It was like the, really the missionary to the Gauls. Uh, am I right? Is it not a bee? Is it not Benedict? Maybe it, no, it's not Benedict. Well, whatever. Somebody Google it and figure it out. Um, yeah, we cut down the sacred trees. There's a way that people trusted in trees or they worship trees, right? And the no, Germans. Didn't, didn't they? Didn't he make a church out of that tree? And then he made the church out of the tree. Yeah, it's a nice legend. I like it. Right. It's kind of like we talked about with, uh, we had um, the bishop from Siberia at Adel, our sister church, just a couple miles north. Um, and he was talking about how, and, and I saw this firsthand in Siberia. Did you ever go over? I did. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in Tomsk, I think, but there are also in other places where they, where when the, when the, the um, communists, when the Soviets, when they, when they destroyed the church, they would also like try to make a mockery of it. They put like a Lenin statue right on top of the altar and use the altar for the base of a, you know, really a pagan um, thing. And in Tomsk, it was a, um, they turned it into an amusement park. 
so the, the church grove and the church grounds, they turned into just like a, with Ferris wheels and things. Just to try to make a mockery. Or in uh, St. Petersburg, what was that? St. Peter and St. Paul, where they turned it into a swimming pool. It had been converted back now, although it still looked like a swimming pool, except for the crucifix at the front and folding chairs. Um, but you could sit in the like, bleachers of the swimming pool, the Olympic-sized swimming pool. Um, thankfully, it's been restored, but probably never to what it was. Well, I know not to what it was, because they had pictures of what it looked like before. Uh, they basically paved it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, woodlands, yes, cedars. I will cut down... I will cut down the, its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height to, to its fruitful forest. So he's, I've, maybe it's this humility idea. Is that what, you, that's what it kind of reminds me of? You know how he levels the playing field, if you like. The, the high places are torn down, which we've heard in Micah, right? You know, and then uh, the low places are made a plain, right? So he lifts up the humble and he um, casts down the the bold, but here he's drawing them out of their um, out of their solitary confinement, if you like, in the in the forest, right? Because what's wrong with the what's harmful in the forest, or what what's the problem with the forest? Is it good for sheep in the forest? No, because who hides in the, amongst the trees? Predators, right? So they they don't they when you have a flock, you don't have them <laughs> just wandering idly. Although somebody said. Somebody in this congregation was telling me the story. They had sheep. Um, but they had a creek. And so they just sent the sheep across the creek in the spring. And then they, they come and bring them back in in the fall, into the barn in the fall. But throughout the year, they just lived on the other side of the creek. And they didn't like feed them or anything. They just grazed and bore lambs and whatever they would do. Just sheep being sheep. It was fenced in. So it's probably I'm like, you're not worried about like coyotes or something? I'm like, no, we weren't. They're just, we didn't, they didn't spend any effort at all on these sheep except for during the winter <laughs> or they'd give them shelter. Isn't that something? I can't remember which family that was. Somebody was telling me. They had, well, they had dairy cows, so that doesn't help you at all since every family had dairy cows almost, right? Uh, that were farmers anyway. All right. So uh, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead. Do we know about those places? We've heard Bashan quite a bit, right? What do we know about, about that? You're yawning. Uh, it's first mentioned, uh, you know, Og. Remember Og of Bashan? Yeah, now you remember. Um, it's a fertile land, it's a, but it's a flat land um, by the Jordan, stretching from Jabbok, northern part of Gilead, toward Hermon, Gennesaret, um, Tehran. So this was, a fer- this was the fertile land in the Jordan uh, River, I guess, valley, right? So a nice place, but a flat place. And a fertile place. And Gilead, too, right? Um, also balm there. As in days of old. So that's a, not only the inheritance is about restoration, but here specifically, as of days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. And uh, rightfully, I think the church has picked up on the, uh, not only the, well, all the signs that were performed as God delivered his people out of Egypt are like, patterns or types for our life in the church, right? Does God show us wonders? Yes, he does. Um, Also, but they're also perceived by us, I suppose, as weakness. So what what about the deliverance from Egypt corresponds, pick something, that corresponds to our life in the church? Just pick something, Gabe. 
Alright, okay. Awesome. I didn't ask you earlier. Something about the deliverance from Egypt that does it remind us of something in the church? Because we talked about this maybe two weeks ago. Remember the the flood prayer, yeah, you remember that? What what did the it's Luther's flood prayer baptism, right? What what about what about the wa- was there a story with water and coming out of Egypt? Yeah, which one? Well, there's that one too, yeah, and we heard that last week actually in the epistle about the rock who followed them was Christ, you know, the water. But no, earlier than that, deliverance from Pharaoh. How do he do it? You just have to repeat it. I know you already know. I just say it out loud. <laughs> what do you do to Pharaoh? Yes, exactly. In the in the sea, in the Red Sea, right? And so, in the flood prayer, what do we say about about that? That corresponds to to baptism, right? Where who does God drown in baptism? Pharaoh? No. No. I mean, who would be your pharaoh? Who, who are you, or what are you bound to? It's a place, you know, that's... I don't try not to keep it away. You're almost making me say it. The old Adam, yeah, that's right. With all of its, what? And evil desires. Sins and sin and evil desire. Drowned and, and buried. Then you think about your old Adam as being like pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? Right, but see, even even Micah's doing that here, right? Remember, in days of old, and the psalmist does that too. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. The Lord said, Psalm sixty-eight, Psalm seventy-eight. Marvelous things He did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. So when we hear this, it's like, don't forget the story. <laughs> you know, well, because we were talking about pastoral care earlier, but someone who's sick, you know, what, what's my experience, what's usually the case, people are, they're, they're worried, they're scared, right, they're, of the, of the illness, of the sickness, they're, and, and what, one of the ways you can provide counsel is to remind them of what God has already done for them, but what he's always done for his people, right, and then show the corresponding things in the church, you know, are you baptized, what has God promised with your baptism, right, um, that's all connected to the uh, medieval, I guess, uh, ancient practice, what, uh, which was came out of actually Greek philosophy. Um, remember you are, di- you know, remember you are dying, or how did they go? It was in Latin, the um, being prepared to die. That that was part of like the Stoics did this, right? And and I'm, now I'm thinking the Ash Wednesday uh, imposition of ashes, right? Right. Remember you are destined to death; you shall return. There's a way that the church is always preparing you to die because, and it's not, it's, it shouldn't make you upset or confused. It's actually meant to comfort you, right? Is to say, no, trust in your baptism. What did God promise in baptism? I, I keep asking the question, but I haven't answered it. What? Sin. What about sin? Yeah, he's promised you washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You know, scriptures? Remember these things? Yeah. Yeah. New life, forgiveness, uh, eternal salvation. It's all there, right? Yeah. Uh, and so remember the wonders, and that's what you can do in, in care, right? 
is what has God done for you? Right? Has he fed you? Has he taken care of you? Look back, if you like. Uh, sometimes you don't have the benefit of that, you know, especially like a later in life conversion. But even then, you can point to that, right? And say, you know, look at how God brought you out of unbelief into, into life. Um, but even look back, remember the stories. So we've been talking about this with the school. Um, broad category, using this broad category, which is from education, but using it for the church as well, which is literacy. But then talking about applying these categories of literacy that we're going to use in the school, um, which is more than just books, but it's literacy in other realms, like with technology and other things, being aware of media and how media works and these kind of things. But to have that in the church too, biblical literacy, so know the stories. Um, if you like what, oh, I, can't, I can't remember these categories that we were using. Confessional literacy, so how do we confess the faith? Um, and then the third category was, see, this is why it's all new to me what we're talking about, but I like it. Um, the third would be, well, it contains like liturgy, hymnody, how is the faith lived out, right? And, and we have, you know, we want to have the knowledge of that, but also some practice of that. So that um, when we are in weakness or in doubt or in sickness or struggling with faith in any kind of way, then um, we remember what we've been given, which is just another way of saying what I think what the church has always said, right? About praying without ceasing, for example, right? Staying in God's word all the time uh, and thus being, or, or I think of uh, Paul too, right? About being equipped for, for the devil's flaming darts, right? With, with the word of God. So, it actually draws into our, our uh, gospel text for today too. So you'll hear that in a minute. I think we should probably cut it off there since we're out of time. But um, maybe we'll just come back to the end of this next week and just repeat that. And then uh, I'll plan. What do you want to? We didn't really make a decision, did we? Um, What's that? You like John? Yeah. To teach through John, that's going to take us a little while, but um, we're not in a hurry, right? And it's so beautiful. I've been listening actually to um, uh, White Horse Inn has been doing the Gospel of John this year. And I like listening to White Horse Inn because there's a lot of Reformed people in there. So then, again, uh, Iron Chef and Zion, that idea. Um, So that would actually be helpful because I've already been listening to them talk about John. So let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have shown us by your prophet Micah uh, who you are and what you have promised for us, and namely how that promise is fulfilled in your son Jesus, who comes um, to judge the living and the dead. The judgment for sin is placed upon him, and his judgment upon us as his believers is uh, forgiven freely for his sake by his shed blood. We ask that we keep us steadfast in this faith, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.